poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. These are your hosts, Peter Birmingham and yours truly, Duncan Palamortis. Peter, how are you today? I'm very well, Duncan. Thank you very much. Uh, delighted to be back into the studio to uh, dive down the rabbit hole on what is what's sure to be another interesting, interesting topic for our listener. Absolutely. What is this topic? So today we're going to talk about something that I think pretty much every poker player definitely suffers from at some point in their life. And mm-hmm. um, it's fancy play syndrome. Mm-hmm. Very good. And so just actually, just as we start off, just a, a, a little light start, Duncan. Um, where did, in poker terms, who first coined the term fancy play syndrome? Oh, that, that's a little bit of trivia. <laughs> that, is, that is an excellent question. I have no idea. I can make a wild guess. Uh, usually with these acronyms, I mean, people, you know, call it FPS for short, F- from Fancy Play Syndrome, the, the initials. Uh, I would guess it started in 2 plus 2. That would be my guess. Like, typically speaking, these, type of ter- these types of terms, you know, back in the day when people, you know, were uh, talking about all those things, you know, a triple merging range and all of this nonsense, you know, <laughs> typically starts on, on two plus two. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was somebody else. Do you happen to know who coined the term? Yes, I do, uh, actually. Oh, awesome. yeah. And it was actually, it actually well predates uh, two plus two and their uh, their love of these kind of terms. It was actually the great Mike Carroll oh, that Mike Carroll. coined the term yes. in poker terms. So there we go. A little bit of useless trivia there for our listener with regard to today's topic. Actually, you know what? I don't think it's useless at all. And and here is something that uh, you reminded me of something very relevant with what you just said. Uh, The concept of reframing, right? I mean, the idea of fancy play syndrome and fanciness in general is something which is certainly not new to people. Like, I mean, as we talk about it, people will definitely identify and uh, relate to a lot of things that we're going to talk about. Um, but what's interesting is actually finding the proper words or coining terms can be incredibly helpful. Okay, my favorite example is a word like antifragility, right? Which uh, again, coined by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. We've talked about antifragility a lot in this podcast. Now, the concept of antifragility is not to be credited to to Taleb, of course. I mean, that idea of basically growing through stressors is something that, you know, philosophers like Nietzsche have talked about, philosophers like the pre-Socratics have talked about. So this is not something new. However, the term is certainly to be credited to, to Taleb. And actually, the idea of finding a term which can be succinct, can be descriptive, can be helpful, is both difficult and incredibly helpful. So having somebody who actually said, okay, how do I call this thing of basically trying 
to be fancy about stuff and overthinking things and overcomplicating things with potentially negative consequences, well, that's a mouthful. We will never get anywhere that way, right? I mean, so I might find a nice way to make it succinct to communicate it to other people. So coining is itself very valuable. Coining a term and finding, you know, a specific you know, Caroism in this case, right? I mean, Caroism, an idea. Yeah. I like that one, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Finding, like, I think it's it's incredibly helpful, and it's and 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 just to be to be fair to Taleb and not take anything away uh, from him, he himself says the best way to sell books, and he's joking, of course, that's a joke. The best way to sell books is to find a very old idea, right? <laughs> Reframe it, and then go ahead and put it in a different package and 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 sell it. And he is the master. Of doing that, like finding simple terms, like you know the black swan. You know, again, these are things that exist out there. We knew about them, but we didn't have a succinct and descriptive uh, term for them. You know, and you know, and, and yours truly likes likes to do that a lot with the idea of meta humility, for example, right? I mean, again, it's not like people don't know about these things. It's just you find a proper way to 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 frame them. So. Thank you very much for actually bringing this up because it's an idea that ties to the philosophical context. The context, the, the reframing, the uh, the the simple coinage. I wouldn't call it useless at all. As a matter of fact, it's incredibly useful. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and how how would you define like in very uh, long way what fancy play syndrome is in your words? So what is Caro is simplifying there? So I think. Um, if I was to describe it, I would say it is trying to outthink in poker terms, obviously mm -hmm. we're we're talking now, um, trying to outthink your opponent to maybe a level or two above where that opponent probably actually sits. Mm -hmm. So you're using a play that is particularly nuanced but the nuances of which may be completely lost on your opponent. Absolutely. So you do something a bit above their heads, perhaps. Yes, so, ab absolutely. Right. And and and, the, and what are the consequences of that? Uh, why that uh, could be potentially bad? Well, I suppose from a poker standpoint, the the biggest drawback is that the player doesn't recognize mm -hmm. what you're doing. Let's let's take, for example, a very basic concept of. You arrive on the river um, you're out of position. You check the player bets. There's a flush on the board. There's a potential flush on the board and you have the ace high blocker. Mm -hmm. And you, I, I think this is this is an idea that most players can relate to. It's something we've all done. Um, you raise mm -hmm. and obviously you're blocking the nut flush at that point. And that's the idea. Um, the intricacies of that, while it's still in simple, maybe lost on the opponent who just looks at the hand and says, I have a flush, I'm calling. You know, yeah, there's no, I don't care that it's the queen high, jack high, all they see is a flush. So you're trying to, you're trying to outthink them when they're not looking past their own two cards. So that's, and I think that's the, in, in simple terms, like that's a, a simple enough example, but I think that shows the consequences pretty clearly that it's, you know, you're, you're trying to outthink them when you're overestimating their ability to think in the hand or their they their needs to think even you know it's how we how we look at these things are obviously obviously very different 
Absolutely. And this is an excellent example. And I would, I would take it one step further. Sometimes, depending on the level of sophistication of the opponent, they might even call with one pair in a situation like that, right? I mean, they can say, I have to pair. I always had, I had to pair. I'm going to call. And what is happening there is that they are um, uh, thinking at a different level than we're expecting them to think, we, is what we would call we're giving them too much credit in some sense. But it's very interesting to dissect what is happening in the opponent over there, right? So what is happening in the opponent over there, um, we have the um, a, a conflation of two different uh, players from our perspective. What do I mean by that? When we make that check raise on the river, there's two types of players who will make that check raise. The player that has no idea what they're doing there, I mean, they haven't seen the flush, and I'm oversimplifying just for the listener to be able to to, to pay attention because, again, we, we, we don't know exactly the levels of people who, who are uh, uh, listening to that podcast. So there is the check raise on the river from the person who even they haven't noticed the, the flush, and I'm exaggerating a little bit. And then there is the sophisticated player who not only they have uh, noticed the flush, they've noticed they have the ASI blocker on, on their hand, so they're saying, oh, this is a very credible uh, a, a credible." Um, spot to bluff because I represent a lot of value there. But the issue is that these two players act exactly the same way. So the person who has no idea what they're doing and the person who knows exactly what they're doing, they look alike. So from the perspective of the defender, in this case, the recreational player, the recreational player completely misses the second sophisticated player. So it's like, you know what? I mean, I have, I have to pair there. My opponent obviously is bluffing. I mean, they don't know what they're doing. So I'm going to call. And uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of people have talked about that idea—the idea of the of the leveling. But I, I speaking of coining terms, I've coined in ter coined the term of that, and I call it the leveling spiral. And the leveling spiral is the idea is an idea that actually uh, shows not just in poker but in everyday life too. And and the simplest example is uh, seasons, right? And um, why do I call it a leveling spiral? Because if you look a spiral. From the side perspective, you can clearly see that it's a spiral. It's a spring. You can see it going up. You can see it swirling depending on the angle that you're looking at. However, if you look at a spiral top down, what do you see? If you look at a spiral top down, what is exactly that you see? You basically see a circle. Yeah. Right? In, and it's just getting smaller as it goes, as that, it goes down. That's exactly that's exactly correct. Yes, it gets smaller, but even you know, like even if we don't let's say see that that smallness, we still see a circle. We definitely do not see that concept of elevation. We don't or um, or descending, right? I mean, we don't see that the spiral goes goes up and down. So we may think that you know, uh, spring of two thousand twenty three is is the same as spring of uh, nineteen eighty two. Because again, that's the same spring on the spiral. They both are on the location of where the spring is. And so the idea that there is progress, but you know, things seem like they're the same. Again, like the, the motion um, of uh, the uh, seasons. And uh, there is an, an example, a weird uh, a, a example. I don't know if, have I told you the pitcher story? How I told you how one time I got uh, I, I, I got sick and I had like a sore throat. Have I told you the sore throat story? I don't oh. think I've heard this one, Duncan, no. <laughs> Are you curious to hear it? Oh, I'm very, I'm very curious now. The fact that you're smiling at me while you're saying, have you heard it? I'm very curious to hear it. 
you, you just reminded me because you're always bringing like those like very interesting examples and the spark these thoughts on me. I, I sort of got I hadn't prepared that. So, uh, so I was sitting at a table. I had a sore throat. I get, I've been getting sore throats all of my life. I have sensitivity, you know, uh, laryngitis and things like that. But that's beyond the point. So I was sitting there, and there is a giant pitcher in the middle. Like we, we are at a, uh, at, a, at a family dinner, a lot of friends, a lot of family. So we're having this dinner. It's uh, it's awesome. If it's just the annoying sort of on, on my end, but I'm having a great time otherwise. So there is this giant pitcher in the middle of the table, full of water and full of ice cubes. You know, my nightmare. Like I, as you can imagine, those ice cubes feel like spikes to me, right? I mean, it's like you might as well throw nails in there, right? Because like my 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 my, my uh, uh, throat is hurting. So what I'm doing is. I reach towards the middle of this very long table and I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. I'm grabbing the pitcher. I'm like, I'm bending over. It's like really awkward. And I'm struggling to just pour some water. Like there's all of these ice cubes there. You know, I'm, I'm struggling yeah. mostly because of the ice cubes, trying to pour some water. So naturally, the friend next to me who knows nothing about my sore throat, what do they do? She grabs the pitcher, and because she's a very nice person, she helps me with it. <laughs> she tilts it over. Completely and... misunderstanding what you were trying to achieve and just thought you were struggling. That, that's exactly right. That is exactly correct. So this is a perfect example of, level, of the leveling spiral, right? So the person who's having trouble and the person who also is trying to uh, do it in a sophisticated way, from the outsider's perspective, they look exactly the same, right? The toddler who's not strong enough to touch the fire performs at the same level as the adult who are, is smart enough to know to not touch the fire because they're going to get burned. And somewhere in between, there's, there's a curious uh, kid, not a toddler anymore, who can actually touch the stove and get burned. So we come in circles in life in a lot of things, but they're not really circles. They're elevated circles. In other words, we sort of like come back to where we started from, but with a lot of knowledge, there is actually, again, the examples of this are endless. And please stop me because I will never stop talking about that. <laughs> when it comes to martial arts, people, you know, they start with like the, the white belt in, in karate, for example. I mean, in jiu-jitsu, maybe a little bit different, but, you know, and then they eventually they make it to the black belt and you know what belt comes after the black belt in, in some? Uh, the red belt? <laughs> well, I, I don't know about the red belt. You, you may be correct in, in some of the, but. It in, doesn't jujitsu. That's, it, that's the only reason I, I, I know. I don't know about other disciplines, but I do know there is a red belt in jujitsu, but that's it. And, and it, it, very, it very well may be the case, but in, in some disciplines, the, the masters, they go back to the white belt. You know, they sort of like they go back to the yeah. the belt they started they started from, and it, it has a, both a metaphorical meaning. Like there is there is a certain amount of uh, of of humility in there, and I would I would argue meta humility, not simple humility, because they're very well aware of what they, they they're capable of. But also sort of like we run a full circle, but it's not the same white belt again. It's sort of like I'm going back to the basics. I understand the basics, and I know just I'm throwing all the noise away. I'm still doing like the the first moves, but now I'm looking at them from a different perspective. So there is a lot of this what um, goes around comes comes around, and 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 I think I'm going to stop there because otherwise I will never. <laughs> <laughs>
I love when I get you. I love when I get you on these tangents, Duncan, and you just you go into you, you go into your your depths of wisdom. And <laughs> I don't know about that. It's just that I have to, you know, just say. But uh, so living that, you know, uh, deep dark forest that is uh, the, the, the spiral. You know, what are some other examples that people may be familiar with, uh, where they they they're doing fancy things? Uh, in an attempt, obviously, to to make a profitable moves, but basically because they're not reading the room, so to speak. I think I I think from poker play, like again, keeping it to uh, from a poker perspective, I think one of the most common times that people um, fall into the idea of fancy play syndrome is when they're moving up levels. Mm-hmm. So this idea, let's take, for example, you're moving from 200 and L up to 500 and L. Obviously, there is going to be um, an increase in your the difficult, the level of your competition. But instead of initially sticking to what got you there and sort of trying to find a baseline to work off, people automatically assume that, OK, I'm playing a different level of opponent now. I need to play differently. And mm-hmm. they start adding in these complex moves that they probably haven't thought an awful lot about. It's probably not even something that they've strategized off the table. And they start putting them into play. And they don't, and invariably, a lot of the time, they don't work. And that's not necessarily because the competition, you know, because the move was too nuanced or, but it, it just may have been just far too fancy for anyone to to comprehend you know it just it it goes beyond the realms of ridiculous sometimes <laughs> and it, but i do think that uh I, I do think that's probably a situation where most players would feel that they've been sort of um fallen victim to this uh to this to this particular syndrome and I, look i have to i have set in um coaching sessions with brad and it's like what were you doing there and it was yeah i just had fancy play syndrome there there's no other there's no point in sugarcoating it i was trying something fancy and it didn't work and he said yeah you you just got what you deserved you got stacked and like let's not try that one again you know we, we we move on but i think recognizing that you that you're doing it is probably is probably half the battle and like that's that's a different conversation but i do think yeah i do think moving up stakes is definitely is definitely the time we are most susceptible because it's the t- it's the time when we sort of have that there's a psychological shift in mm-hmm. that the stakes are now higher and i think that's a that's a something we all you know humans in general suffer for that the higher we move in stakes and levels and work it doesn't matter this is where we could you could generalize and we feel that we need to add in a layer of complexity Mm -hmm. that may not necessarily that may not be necessary and that's again that's fancy play play syndrome for poker players and then you know the kiss principle for um (laughs) for for other other areas of life you know and yeah. for people who don't under don't know what the kiss principle is it is keep it simple stupid <laughs> that's exactly right yes no, absolutely correct and and that can be a good a good heuristic uh you 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 mentioned at least three interesting points that i could uh uh recount i mean starting with the kiss principle the the idea which is a great heuristic keep it keep it simple stupid and and duncan oh, has muted i don't know whether he can hear can you hear me duncan 
I can hear you. Yes. Ah, sorry, you just muted there for a second. Oh, okay. No, no, not a problem. Can you uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. I can okay, hear you great. Perfectly. So, <laughs> so again, we're, we're doing it live on on tape. So things like that are gonna are gonna happen. So uh, as I, as I was saying, you mentioned three things at least that I can recount. Right, the uh, the idea two heuristics. And one very important example of, of fanciness. So the two heuristics that we're hopefully going to get back to them later uh, is it's a good idea to keep it as simple as possible. Sometimes I, you know, I, I call it the Einstein principle. Keep it as simple as possible, but not simpler than that, right? No, I mean, not simpler than that. Yeah, not simpler than that, right? I mean, we still want to capture all of the complexity, but no, none of the noise, right? I mean, we want to capture all the signal, but none of the noise, and and often the signal is very simple in, in some extent even general relativity that's why it's the einstein principle is simple in its core idea right i mean the idea that you know again we've talked about this a lot and i don't want to run on another tangent that it's the space that does this the, the, the gravity stuff it's not one object that you know forces the other to move it's just the space itself who's been all messed up and it makes things to to slide around so that's the one keep it simple stupid the other thing that um, the other thing that you mentioned is that awareness that can be another incredibly important uh, heuristic, right? Being aware that, that there's fanciness. And we we should definitely uh, get back to that when we talk about heuristics. I think it's very interesting. And the third thing, which is actually the example itself, uh, is the idea of the adjustment or the over-adjustment, if you will, when when we're moving up or down uh, in, in, in stakes. And, um, and the thing is, there's something to be said about this. I think it's it's really, really, really deep because um, when when we do any any time we're doing something harder in life, I and mean, we were talking about antifragility earlier, any time we introduce stressors which are of higher level than the stressors we had before, right? I mean, the idea that we're making it harder for ourselves so that we can grow. Similarly, that happens when we go up in stakes. Every time that happens, there is a necessity for ourselves to overcome that new challenge, right? And this is desirable. So there is a necessity for a certain type of reaction. So what happens there when we move up in stakes, we try to preemptively, right, uh, predict that, hey, there's going to be new stressors coming my way. And before the stressors even arrive, we're actually preemptively going we're going and we're saying here's my reaction to them to the non-existing stressors and i think that is part of the issue it's not that new stressors are not going to be there when we're going up in stakes yes they will be there but just you know react to them you know some people may not like the word react but i'm using it here for simplicity's sake react to them as they come you know like when you for example when you go to the gym and you say you know what today i'm going to try to put five more pounds on whatever exercise that I'm doing. You're not all of a sudden, you know, instead of moving your hands up, you say, you know what, I'm going to move them sideways. You're still moving them up in the same way. It's just that you're putting more effort. I would say that, you know, moving up in stakes is exactly the same thing. One of the, you know, so to speak, two plus two collective wisdom advice is never change your game as you move up in stakes. And, and by never change your game, what they really, the community really meant is go play your game. And hopefully within your game, you have adjustability 
as a factor into it. So if you know how to adjust in any game, lower stakes or high stakes, it doesn't matter that you moved up higher in stakes. If you learn how to adjust to opponents, you will adjust to those opponents exactly the same way you would adjust at a lower level game. Does that make sense, yeah. Peter? That makes perfect. And it's, it's nice to hear some good advice coming from two plus two. Uh, that, you know, we're not just going to throw away. But, um, but no, I, I, I think that's, that is, that is really good because when you move up, like if you, if you all of a sudden start changing things without seeing the ground in front of you, like inevitably you're just going to run into trouble, but like play your game, but play your own game, play your level, and then see, then you have a baseline for how your strategy works in this new arena. It may be that there may be only a few opponents um, in your pool who are performing to a level that you might need to adjust and that the rest of the pool is just going to, you know, succumb to your strategy overall. Um so you have to, I think, getting that baseline, seeing how the land lies, as it were, when you first step in, um, is is very important. It's it's a kind of a look before you leap um, approach because I think the the like overcomplicating things is definitely leaping. You know, you're 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 leaping to conclusions that haven't been, you know, that you're drawn but haven't been born out yet. You bring back another very good point there. That's that's exactly right. And if I if I were to reframe it a little bit, uh, um, and again, I'm doing the reframing mostly so that I can understand what you're saying myself. I'm just translating it uh, in, in sort of like my my internal language. What I would say is that moving up in stakes is not a stressor in itself. What's a stressor is that you may have different opponents. You may or may not, and you made a very good point. You say look at the opponents maybe a couple of them are better than what you used to and sometimes that happens too by the way poker is such a complex game where you go up in stakes and actually the game on average that game that you're in might be better than all the games you've been playing in lower stakes that can happen too so the stakes themselves are not a stressor the stressor the new the new and by stressor i mean you know the new challenge the new challenge are the players but you have to face them first to identify them as such and say, oh yes, this player has a different range, a different strategy, a, a different range, the composition and different strategy. Uh, they're picking up spots differently than I'm used to. So now that's an opportunity perhaps for, 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 for me to grow. And what growth means, again, it is very dependent on that stressor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I, uh, I totally agree. I think the, as you say, like the moving up, the moving up stakes, it's the stakes themselves can be quite arbitrary when it comes to, you know, level of opponent. I, right. And as I think as most people have said, almost the higher, like when you get into the real high stuff, it actually, it almost, um, it almost, the level of opposition almost regresses. <laughs> That's right. Uh, regresses backwards. But I think it's, I, I think a lot of the time it comes down to, you know, that sort of, you're playing your you're playing one state. Let's say you're playing 100 NL, for example, and you're playing that for several months. You're very comfortable. You know most of your opponents. There's nothing really ever surprising. And all of a sudden, you're thrown into something new. And I think now, all of a sudden, it's the unfamiliar. It's 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 an uncomfortable. And I think we as humans, we we naturally feel uncomfortable in new situations mm -hmm. when we haven't been there before. And while 
poker should be a bit more simplistic because the game doesn't change only certain strategies may change um it's still i think we honed in on that part of our our psyche that says this is a completely new environment and we allow that we allow that part of ourselves to take over and we go into that sort of mode where it's like okay this is new and this is different so we have to we have to adjust because it's a new environment when in reality it's only maybe a slightly different environment. The, um, the environment has not changed to the level that we're, um, that we think it has. That's, that, that's very good. And, and as a result, maybe we don't need to over adjust, right? I mean, maybe we need to use our skills as an anchor, our previous skills as an anchor, our previous reactions to previous stressors as an anchor, the way we've been lifting the weights up to this point as an actor, as an uh, as an anchor, and, and go from there and try to adjust from there instead of basically throwing all of this out of the window and do something that we've never uh, tried before, right? So, and um, it, it's funny that, that, that you mentioned that because this is also like when, when, I, when I'm teaching math, that's one of the advice, if you will, I mean, I hate the word advice, but for lack of a better term, that's something I'm, I'm because again, who am I to give advice to anybody, right? It's sort of like, you know, a a, a thing to ponder, ponder about, but let's call it advice because that's, that's how people understand it. Uh, but the idea is that when you like facing a problem or a test, the last thing you want to do on a test is be creative, right? There are times and places where it's okay to be creative and and we can talk about you know pros and cons of tests and uh, on a completely different podcast but if the task at hand is you know you have to give an answer you don't it's not the time to be creative lab is the time to be creative try different things at the poker table you want to do the things that you've you've tested you want to do the things that you've seen before and similarly you're working on a problem you want to try the methods that you've seen before getting creative will throw you on a completely different tangent that it hasn't been tested yet. And again, there's time and place, but not when you are in the heat of the moment. Yeah, that's and that's that's quite interesting. We actually um we in the the Wolves program um we had a high level uh, performance coaching session with Adam Creek mm-hmm. on Sunday past and one of the parts of it was um he broke down uh, practice big game, game and recovery. And we were putting in, you know, points to take away, you know, for, for each. And one of the things about playing in the big game, shall we say, is that, and I think that applies to a test, which is, you know, the big game in its own arena, is that you stick to what you know. You keep right. it simple. You don't, right. you don't move away from what you know. The practice, that's what the practice ground is for. That's mm-hmm. what you do in practice. That's what you do off the table. It's not the time to start getting inventive or creative when you're mm-hmm. in the moment, because inevitably with all um, experimentation, which is what it is, there's going to be errors. So you do not want to do that when it's most, when it's most, um, when there's most on the line, be it money in a card game, be it, um, be it marks on a test. That is not the time to be, you know, straying from the, straying from your norm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I mean, there, there might be a time and place to do that. And we can maybe talk a little bit about that, that later. Um, uh, very, 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 very good example. So, I mean, we, we, we covered some of situations where people may have been familiar with um, in, in poker settings, like things that 
People can be fancy either with realizing it or without realizing it. Um, but certainly after the fact, they can see that or maybe they, they can't. What are some examples where people may not be so familiar with of uh, fancy uh, playing syndrome? That within the poker realm or within the po within the poker realm yes i mean we we'll talk about the non poker realm don't, yeah don't worry. just 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 making sure we were still on the we were we were still on the the the, the poker side of things i think Absolutely. i think one one thing that actually comes to mind and it, this is something i have quite strong opinions about actually mm -hmm. nice. is in this in this in the studying phase the training phase you mm -hmm. know people come in there is um, as we both know there's a mountain of information out there and different training sites um upswing like brad has obviously chasing poker greatness there's a lot of great content there plug for the site um you know run at once run all at these once. different mm -hmm. all these different areas poker coaching that you can go to i think people can tend to overcomplicate things at the start by delving into far too many of these mm -hmm. um, different courses. I think if you were to pick one, stick with that and follow that the philosophy that that particular site teaches, that's going to take you to X level. Mm -hmm. And once you've sort of mastered that, then you could think about, you know, sort of branching out and see where your knowledge is maybe not where you want it to be and, you know, if your game is not up to scratch, but I think people, they, they tend to just buy everything. And yeah. I, I've done this. I've, sure. I've picked around, like, I mean, this is, this comes from experience. Mm -hmm. They pick around, you're picking from so many different sources that all the information just gets muddled. Mm -hmm. So you've got concepts from, you've got concepts from uh, a run at once coach that are going to clash with something that say, for example, Brad teaches, you've mm -hmm. got something from an upswing coach that's going to clash with something that say Jonathan Little teaches, right. but you've got all this information swirling around in your head and you you don't know where you're going and you're not actually creating um, a, a strategy that you can implement. You're not, you're not, your game is not improving. Your mind is all muddled and you really, you really don't know where you're at. And I've seen this, I've seen this as, as I said, through like, experience from my own experience and i've seen it with other i've seen it with other players and they're the way they post hand histories and they'll say well i was looking at you know x training video and there was a concept around this and it's like yes that concept exists but you're misapplying it mm -hmm. in this situation it doesn't apply here so i think yeah, I think this is one that maybe people don't even realize they're doing it, but I definitely think it's a, it's a a good example of overcomplicating a situation where the simplest approach would be to stick with one, you know, coach or training site and go through that process and then start to figure out when you have more knowledge because I think the old a little knowledge is dangerous and I think that's very true when it comes to poker because the misapplication of concepts is like it's 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 rife throughout mm. you know the, the the smaller stakes because people they pick up on something they say oh i can use this here well yeah no you can't you know it just doesn't apply but you've got the concept down but just the application is when to apply it is missing so yeah the the, the training spaces yeah and i i probably sound really passionate about this no, no you know i, I really not at all. but it is something that I, I i do have very strong opinions on because i do i see people and it's, it's like they're wasting money 
going out buying you know subscriptions for four and five different sites and it's like no stick with one coach to start learn your game get the baseline down get your fundamentals down understand the game a bit more and then you can start to branch out and see where the new concepts are and where that deviates from the strategy you already know and then you're in a position better to question you know the stuff that you've already learned whereas at the start you take everything as gospel because somebody who knows more than you is telling you this is true but Mm -hmm. unfortunately you take too much information on and then all of a sudden you're gone down this rabbit hole where you're applying two or three different concepts in a spot where none of them (laughs) none of them apply and you know you're just your game is not developing at all that's that 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 is very excellently put and uh, let me just before i forget let me just say that uh there's nothing wrong with strong opinions, right? If you mm. have the, the data and the elegance of presenting uh, those ideas and the reason why you're making you're making those opinions. And this is incidentally uh, the difference uh, between confidence and sometimes borderline arrogance. I'm not saying you are in that situation, but I'm saying it's okay to be incredibly confident. And even I would argue you're, you're not at all. You're not coming off as arrogant at all in, in this example. Uh, but I'm saying it's okay even to be arrogant in those situations if it's something that you've spent a lot of time in, in doing and thinking about and you clearly have, which is why I like to distinguish between that type of you know confidence, sometimes overconfidence, even arrogance, it's okay, all of that, to separate it from meta-humility, which is the type of thing that we know um, is completely different. And if we actually become meta-arrogant, we can kill ourselves, essentially. Like, we yeah. <laughs> we get so close to the sun, it becomes too dangerous. But you mentioned, at, at least I heard two very interesting and important things there. Uh, one of them is the idea that uh, we can basically find fanciness in things uh, that they're not necessarily um, poker hands. So you're talking about a meta poker idea, the idea of yeah, training, absolutely. right? So, and we will get to that. I mean, we, as we can see, fancy uh, play syndrome is just a specific area uh, of life. You can just call it fancy syndrome in general. It doesn't have to be about poker. It can be about about anything, right? The other thing that that you mentioned to, to your specific example, which I think is brilliant. Uh, is the idea of um, more can be less, right? I mean, when you actually go to several different places and you try to extract all the information all at once, that can be detrimental uh, to your game, Uh, which is incidentally why I'm such a big advocate of the fundamentals to the point that I've gotten a lot of heat about it, right? I mean, people are reading the book and, and they're telling me, well, Duncan, I mean, you're talking about some very simple ideas. Well, the reason is, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to extract out of all of these different philosophies and approaches, right? I mean, you will see people who, for example, they have a, a, a different type of strategy. You'll see a strategy which may be a little bit uh, rich in check raises on the river, or you can find a strategy which like very big in defending against three bets, uh, you know, uh, blinds versus button or something like that. And, and all of that we can talk about. There m- might be another strategy which errs on the side of, you know, fold a little bit more or overfolding, overcalling, whatever it may be, even specific opponents. The fact of the matter is that all of these different strategies have something in common. And those things, like I can give you an example. I've never seen any training website which doesn't advocate in one way or another aggression 
The extent of the aggression might be different. The nuances of the aggression might be different. But if we don't understand that poker is all about aggression, I mean, we don't understand necessarily a fundamental concept of that game, right? I mean, and I don't like, I, 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 I've yet to see a strategy who doesn't advocate c-betting, again, to more or less extent. Right? I mean, there's going to be situations where people will say, well, I'm betting like 100% of my range here, 80% of my range. Other people will say, well, you know what? A, a solver suggests, you know, bet like maybe like a 60% of your range. And they may go with that. And there's perfectly, it's perfectly fine to go with the approach. But I've ne never seen a strategy that says, you know what, you know, on average, you should be betting the flop like, let's say, 30% or less. That just simply doesn't happen in, in a vacuum, I mean. So there are things to extract, I would say. And I think those fundamentals are very, very important to find them at some point or another. However, Peter, you're actually going, I would argue, above that because being able to find the fundamentals is difficult. It's like, you know, it's like Socrates, like he's going around his entire life talking to people, thinking from first principles, only to come to the conclusion that he knows nothing. <laughs> about anything because how complicated life is, right? But to reach that conclusion, he had to talk to everybody. So the reason why I'm saying what you're suggesting is in some sense superior, uh, at least at the beginning, uh, at the introductory levels, is because you, you're essentially suggesting, at least that's how I'm interpreting it, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong again, I'm doing the reframing, is you're suggesting when you have all of these options in front of you, Instead of just getting all of them at once, focus, find something, more can be less, be on a specific uh, track, it doesn't have to be the best track, concentrate on something, use it as an anchor to develop yourself, and from there, you can expand. And I would argue that step of focusing on being specific about something is superior to anything else at the very first stages, because that gives you it the opportunity uh, to essentially get off the couch and, and and get out there, right? So it's it's the thing of like it doesn't matter how you make it to the gym, just just make it to the gym. Doesn't matter which exercises you make, honestly. Like just pick up pick up the weight as long as it's safe. So in, in that case, as long as that you're not dealing with a scammer, as long as you know you can afford it, like very simple principles that have nothing to do with poker, just buy sort of wisely. It doesn't matter which training side you choose, I would argue. Like I would take it that far. And from there, you know, when you're sticking there, I mean, hopefully, you know, you can expand as much as you want. Hopefully you can get to the point where you can extract these fundamental ideas which permeate along all of these different training sites and you, you can become a poker player yourself and you can fine tune this in such a way that it's uh, helping your personality and style. And I think, you know, some people may disagree with that, especially like GTO based players. They don't think such thing as style and personality exists. As somebody who plays a lot live, I tend to disagree. And this is a completely different situation, but you don't have to agree, disagree with that. If you think, if you like the GTO, if you like that strategy, if it makes sense, do you just fine tuning it so that it makes sense to you? Yeah, I, I think you, you actually got exactly what I was saying. You, you hit the nail on the head, Duncan. I think, I think by and large, you know, pretty much all the training sites, their sort of fundamental courses, should we say, are pretty much the same. You know, they're all in one way or another, they're all teaching the same basic concepts. And like, pick, yeah, pick one and go through it. And that will give you the fundamental base. Um, and it's when people start moving into the deeper stuff, you know, the more complicated um, seminars that they have and 
you know, to do with, you know, three betting out of position and, you know, post-flop action, that's when the complexity starts to, to overcome them. But yeah, it's like poker is a simple game, but it's very tough to, to play. So it seems to be very tough to play simple poker. And okay. that's like, I mean, that's, that's a, that's par- a paraphrase of a Johan Cruyff, um, uh, uh-huh. quote which was um, that playing football is very simple okay. right. but uh, playing simple football is the hardest thing to find um, you know it's it, it really is and but it's it all comes back to fundamentals like right. I mean like I mean go out and go out and survey you know 250 uh, poker players out there and ask them to ask them to uh, fully describe pot odds to you what they are and what it means and I, I think we would probably, and not perfect, not necessarily professionals, but like you know, serious, you know, recreationals. I think you might, we might be surprised by the amount of people who don't fully understand right. that very simple model of the game, which is you know, sort of key to everything. Um, but people don't understand it. Equities, you right. know, equity distribution. They're they're very basic, fundamental concepts that you know have to be grasped if you're gonna if you're gonna advance your game but people kind of you know they'll look at them and then they'll gloss over them and then they'll they'll move on you know because it's it's fundamentals you know people think oh fundamentals are boring (laughs) fundamentals are the you know they may be boring but good fundamentals nothing was built without good fundamentals absolutely nothing no business no building no team no area of life has ever been built without strong fundamentals. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like them or hate them, you need them, right? It, the- <laughs> Absolutely. They're the, they're the key. They're the key. And like, even like a couple in a, the pod a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about, um, we were talking about investments, uh, mm-hmm. investment strategies. And we mentioned that um, like last year, Berkshire Hathaway, their biggest, um, their biggest area, they, the area they made the most money in was oil and oil. gas. Mm-hmm. And from an investment point of view, it doesn't get any simpler than that. You know, that's that's very base level investment. Um, like I mean, and they're like I mean, Berkshire had they're they're held up as you know the paragons of the investment world. This is what people want to aspire to in that air in that. But they went for something very simple, you very know, si- something very basic because and, that's what was going to make money. Exactly, and once again, I mean, we see the the leveling spiral in action, right? The idea that uh, uh, the, the the Cruyff mantra, you know, the, the way yeah. I, like, I, I like to put it, it's it's a complicated way to conquer simplicity. It's a very complicated way. Why is it complicated? Because we need to go up in the spiral. Why is it simplicity? Because again, we look like the naive uh, person who has no idea what's going on. The, the person who's so clueless, they, they don't see the fire. You know, in order to not touch the fire, it's the same if you don't know about the fire or if you know about the fire and you're wise enough to not touch it, it's the same level. So it's a complicated way to conquer simplicity in, in, in some sense. And what essentially, you know, Berks of Hathaway is doing there, they're doing things that a clueless person would do is like, okay, what is, I know nothing about investments. What is the thing that I know? I go buy oil, but they're doing it in a sophisticated way avoiding the noise, knowing the noise, knowing why to reject all the other things. The clueless person doesn't why to avoid all the other things. And and for, 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 for the listener here, it does make a difference because the clueless person will just buy whatever 
And sometimes they will be right, sometimes they will be wrong. But like buying something because you reject all the other things, you know, is is thing that makes a a, a huge difference. And not to get too dark here, but uh, I, <laughs> I it reminded me when I was a teenager, right? I had that idea. I was first trying to form that concept of, you know, like that, that leveling. I came up with that idea. For some reason, I was talking to my uncle as a brilliant man, you know, when I was like, a teenager, 15 or 16, and sort of like saw this thing. And, and one of the, th- I mean, teenager, you know how teenagers are, emo and all of that stuff. So I used to say as a teenager with passion is no, you know, you don't, you don't really get to live if you don't think about suicide. You get to live if you think about suicide and you reject it. So it's like, <laughs> so it's obviously, you know, this is, uh, uh this is something that it's uh, obviously like a very, um, you know, a, a teenage like emo like. You know, I am I'm not suggesting people to like, you know, to, to to have these thoughts or anything like that. But but the idea there of my naive teenage mind at the time is that you gotta go around, see the things, and then make a choice. Not just you know pick the oil because you don't know anything else. Pick the oil because you see everything else it doesn't make sense it's complicated it's noise and do the, the fundamental things don't see see bet the flaw because you have no idea what you're doing you know see bet because you realize that if you check just so that you can slow play or you can it's just fancy it doesn't work it's complicated over complicates things and then you you go back to the uh, to, to 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 the fundamentals so um more can be less sometimes absolutely keep it keep it simple stupid keep it simple stupid <laughs> exactly exactly right yeah exactly correct so uh so speaking speaking of 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 meta poker right i mean speaking of some areas of life where fanciness uh can be can be hurtful that they're not necessarily individual poker hands um can you perhaps tell us if uh what are some examples where fanciness creeps in 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 everyday life and in other areas where perhaps fanciness can be detrimental uh if we're if we're, if we're not careful um i i i think of one kind sure. of clear example and this this is something i this is something i've seen a lot of um particularly in in in, in previous previous lives when it comes to people writing reports mm. that have to go to their boss or yeah. they're writing about something that's happened Mm-hmm. And this idea that you have to overcomplicate your wording, you have right, to use right. big words, you have to use fancy jargon, and you know it has to it has to read like um, you know like a chapter of Proust or something like that. You know, it's right. no, it's the people. Oh, this yeah, this is a real bugbear of mine. This is something that actually that is a little bit triggering for me is when people overwrite things. Right. Because I think <laughs> I think we can write in the most simplistic terms and get our point across when we're talking about something specific. Right. There are times when you know you need to write as I, as I would class you, you need to write it a little bit. You know you need to sure. you need to nuance things up a little bit. It needs to sound you know because you may have to. This may be something you have to speak out loud. So you know right. it requires a little bit more nuance. But just in in simple terms, you're describing an incident that happened. Um, why would you ever need to complicate your writing? You don't. But people do it all the time. 
And this is, yeah, this is definitely an area where fancy play syndrome comes into play, I think, on a daily basis with the general populace. That's that's an that's an excellent example. Yeah, it it, it illustrates um, the again. I mean, all of these ideas we've been discussing so far. Sometimes uh, more more can be less. I mean, um, if if I cor- recall cor- correctly, um, Pablo Picasso, like what they he would do, he would actually draw a painting, and then he would draw it again and again and again and again and again and every time he will remove something from it right i mean he will try to you know make it to its bare essentials and then you know he had something which is again not an artist there but i think it's like you know it has to do with the, the cubist movement or, or something like that i mean i'm sure artists we can correct me on that but he he had like this very very unique style which apparently people find very very interesting and and but i'm um, it's very interesting, like the idea of basically removing stuff and removing is not it's not an easy thing to do. Like sometimes it's important to remove. But if we keep the Einstein principle in mind, you know, like you said, sometimes a certain wording might be necessary. That's essentially again, I, I'm, I'm reframing, but that's essentially, OK, maybe I went too far. Maybe it's too oversimplistic. Maybe I'm not conveying the message that I'm trying to convey. Right. Maybe I need to add a couple of words here. But if there are certain things which, you know, you reread and you say, well, this is redundant. You know, I already said that. Maybe I can remove it. One thing is certain. Writing is hard. Right. <laughs> yes. Writing is, 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 is very hard and it's almost impossible to convey a certain message. And to, to to be frank with you, Peter, that's why sometimes you know when you and I are talking, or generally speaking, like we can run. I, I, I should speak for itself. That that's my crime. Run on tangents and things like that because you you never. I never truly feel satisfied with the way things have been phrased. That always can be phrased better, and that's yeah, absolutely. I I do agree. Yeah, absolutely. There's always there's always a way of sort of putting a, a polish on it, or you know, sort of re, as you say, reframing it. So either you can understand it better or the listener can understand something a little better. It's yeah, I, I, I do agree with you there. And it's to be fair, like when I, when I, when I talk about that, it's never, it's always when it's just done for the sake of it and not, you know, it's, it's, it's when it's needlessly done. And that's, and that, I think that's an important distinction to make about what I was saying. I'm not talking about, you know, people who write, you know, sort of opinion pieces in newspapers and they write it beautifully and it comes across fantastically. That's not what I'm talking when, when they could probably write it quite simply, but, you know, they're putting it a, a little bit more eloquently. I'm talking about when there is just no need, you know, when <laughs> the simplistic way of writing something would come into, or even the simplest way of saying something like people can, you know, people can try and be, use big words in conversations as well. And when again, there's no need because, you know, maybe they're talking to a friend in work or, you know, just somebody they met on this, you know, you don't necessarily have to be trying to elevate the level of discussion by, by using, you know, by using big words, but yeah. So just important to make that distinction. So people don't think, you know, I'm, I'm hammering down on writers no, who spend no. hours pouring over, pouring over, uh, pieces to make them to make them sound a certain way i'm i'm absolutely not i have much appreciation for those people of course and i think i think that's that's clear and and perhaps a a, a good heuristic would be you know if if what you're writing doesn't come out naturally maybe you're trying too hard right i mean if if you know (laughs) so it's you know who knows what what goes into like good writing it's not like we have a specific algorithm we're following but if it doesn't come out naturally maybe you're trying too hard and 
perhaps again there is time and place uh, to to experiment but uh uh maybe not when uh, you have a deadline on when you know you are in the heat in the heat of the moment and um which which brings us to basically you know the the, the final points the the heuristics right i mean that reminds me that that type of 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 awareness of being in the right place at the right time reminds me of one of the heuristics we, we discussed today i mean the, the idea of of awareness like you know be be aware you're being fancy of something be be aware of the surroundings uh, of uh, what is happening uh, around you but what are some some good heuristics and i did make a list as we were talking of some of these heuristics but uh, i'll let you t take a crack at it uh, you know what are some things well i'm going to i'm going to steal from a man that was from somebody that was obviously more uh probably more intelligent than i was and something that probably most of our listeners have heard of the idea of occam's razor occam's razor the uh, simplest uh, answer is usually the right one and i think that's i think that's a really good baseline heuristic with which to work off i think if you started there you may have to work out slightly. Sometimes it's not always the, the, the same, but I think it's a good heuristic and a good baseline. I think if you were to follow that, you probably wouldn't go too far wrong. Very, very good. And, and, and you reminded me of a very nice example somebody gave about Occam's Razor. I wish I remember who it was to, to give them credit, but sometimes, you know, reading all those things, I mean, we forget where we get some of that information. So apologies to the author who made this incredible example, but, um, there is a really nice example of Occam's razor where uh, it goes something like this. Uh, let's say you, uh, you're a father, father of two, you have a, you know, a daughter and a son and your wife, and you come back from work one day, you open the door and you go into the kitchen, you see you know, like a, a ladder, somebody moved the ladder, the cabinet is open, and the giant uh, jar with the cookies has been opened, all the cookies are gone, and then you're pondering what happened here. So, I mean, obviously there's several theories, right? I mean, there's a theory that a very short thief, you know, broke into your house, then remember to not, you know, damage anything, just stole the ladder, went into the cabinet, you know, went there, opened the cookie jar, ate the cookies, stole nothing else and left. I mean, that's a theory, right? It is consistent with what you see. But there's also another theory, which, you know, People already know I can see you laughing here. Of course, you know, like uh, your your daughter or your son, you know, they decided to get sneaky that day because you were gone and then they took the ladder, obviously took, took the cookies and they ate them. So I think this is a perfect illustration of uh, of Occam's razor because as, as funny as this is, it illustrates that the first theory makes so many assumptions. And basically the underlying idea that every assumption you make has a probabilistic cost to it. As a matter of fact, the proper probabilistic way to uh, talk about Occam's razor, it's not the least amount of assumptions, it's the most likely amount of assumptions. So if you have, for example, you know, five assumptions that basically each of them has a fairly high probability, that can be a better a theory than one assumption, which is uh, impossible. Like for example, uh, let's say, an example would be, uh, let's say that uh, somebody who um, you thought died just shows up in front of you, right? So there is one simple assumption you can make, you know, they died and then they came back to life, right? 
which is a very costly assumption because as far as we know, resurrection doesn't happen. So that's a very costly assumption. But there could be a series of other assumptions that maybe that person which you thought was dead after a series of events, you know, the person who told you they misheard and they heard from somebody else who also they misheard or there was a little bit of a misunderstanding, which can be a misunderstanding as long as a movie, right? I mean, usually these types of misunderstandings come into movies and you have a series of assumptions, but those series of assumptions probabilistically are less costly than this one big assumption, which is resurrection. Like, like one of the sort of more unlikely ones that I that I was just thinking of there, which is even more probably like it's 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 a better chance of being real is, well, that person just has an identical twin that you just didn't know about. There you go. There you go. Exactly. That's a great one. That's a great one, too. Right. I mean, that's they, they have an identical twin. But, you know, there are situations where there is like, again, a, a simpler explanation. But there are also these examples in life where, you know, a series of events can be probabilistically less costly than a single assumption. So this is called the probabilistic version of Occam's razor. And and I'm sure, uh, you know, poker players can appreciate that. Right. Because, again, we can uh, go ahead and, and choose the uh, assumptions which have a higher probability collectively, you know, and usually that means fewer assumptions, right? Because again, every time you add an extra assumption, probabilistically, you have to multiply the probability with 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 everything else. Beautiful. So Occam's razor is one heuristic, right? You know, try to eliminate um, assumptions or try to choose the theory that uses less assumptions. What else can people do heuristically? Um, I think I was thinking, and I suppose it's it's I suppose it's not really a heuristic, but I think I think if you're looking at a situation, um, because one thing that I was thinking of when, while we were thinking about this, and one of the biggest things that people do with in, in general um, with this idea of fancy play syndrome is the idea of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And conspiracy theories are probably one of the biggest examples of, you know, right. and layers of complexity. Right. And I think if something is, if you're viewing something through the lens of a, con, you know, a conspiracy theory like that, where all these sort of levels, multiple assumptions and levels of complexity, again, this kind of brings it, this is kind of probably more a follow on from the previous point rather than, you mm-hmm. know, sort of an extra. But if you have to think, that hard about something and why it happened, that's probably less likely to be mm-hmm. the reality. And this goes back to what you were saying er- earlier about the writing. If it doesn't come naturally, if you're over, th- if you have to overthink something to get to a conclusion, you're probably on the wrong track. But that, that's a very good point. Or at the very least, I mean, you should be worried about it. You should double check your yeah. work. You, you should look for stronger exactly. evidence. And and this is this is the difference between people who make breakthroughs and the people who have conspiracy theories. So if somebody, because that's another thing which is dangerous, right? I mean, people who are on the verge of a breakthrough typically have to go against the status quo, right? So it's typically- Yes, that's they, true. Right, they they have to go against everything. And But the difference between people who are um, sort of like degrading into conspiracy theories versus people who are uh, on the verge of a breakthrough is that those people who have a breakthrough, they realize that they have a mountain of challenges ahead of them. They have a mountain of opposition and they're trying uh, basically to overcome that opposition for themselves first 
and for everybody else later, right? That's that's the difference. So they understand that they have a mountain of work uh, to to overcome. Right? I mean, when Einstein said, you know what, maybe it's not you know the Earth that is pulling us in. Maybe it's the space that uh, the Earth has distorted that make us all slide into. He realized that this is an incredible claim to make, and he realized that he had to work for 10 years, 10 years to frame this properly, to borrow things from mathematicians to make sure that Newton remains intact, that basically the ideas that came before him and already worked need to be integrated in his theory. And he worked incredibly, 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 incredibly hard, painfully hard, not just to convince other people, but to convince themselves. That's the difference there, right? And yeah. and other people will just naturally, you know, after he he did all the work, they will naturally start to accept. And that's the difference between, you know, breakthroughs and all of these outrageous claims that we just, the only thing we have is like a strong belief in that. There's a huge, huge difference, uh, huge difference there. But I, I'm, I'm glad that, that you brought that up. That, that That's, an, that's an, an, an incredible point, you know, like it's uh, essential. And again, I'm doing a little bit of very framing. Um, you, if you don't, if it doesn't come naturally, like, and, uh, and, you also don't don't do the work, you know. That you don't do the work, then then maybe it's time to reconsider. I think I, I think another um, another heuristic I think we could we could take away is, and this 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 can apply quite generally. If you if you find yourself, and this this as this like apply to moving up stakes in poker, you know, you get a promotion in work, you go to a new job in the same industry. Remember what got you there in the first place. Mm -hmm. Remember the previous steps, the previous strategy or the previous work ethic, whatever it was, whatever it was that got you there is the reason that you're at this point. So don't throw that out the window as soon as you get to that next level. It's yes. keeping, keep yourself, remember what got you there. And that's your baseline now moving forward. You can add to it. You may need to take away from it, but allow yourself that time to adjust when you move into a new situation. But remember your baseline and your baseline is what has got you to that point. Who, who you are or you, who you have been so far can act as an anchor for the present and the future. Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah, that's that's very well, very well put, uh, Peter. And and again, it ties up to all of these other things we talked about. I mean, they 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 they, they stick to what you know, right? I mean, you 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 mentioned that earlier, and you're mentioning here again that stick to what you know. It's a very important uh, thing because what you know, like you said, is what brought you here. What you know is um, something that you spend a lot of time to know it. If you actually know it, you really know it. It means that you have spent some time, and then you can't throw out the the, the baby, so to speak, with the bathwater. Keep the baby at all times, you know. Um, they keep it simple. Uh, 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 the the kiss principle. Um, keep it simple principle, right? Or the Einsteinian principle. You know, we're gonna keep it as simple as possible, but no simpler than that. Again, we wanna respect the the, the complexity. Um, we talked about awareness. The idea that it is so important. And you mentioned that also several times that, you know, when you are in a situation, it is important to understand, if anything, that you're being fancy. It's okay to be fancy. 
But the, the worst thing about being fancy is being fancy and not knowing about it. <laughs> not, not being mindful about it. It's absolutely okay. You, you know what? It's not only okay to be fancy. It's okay to say, this is fancy and I'm going to be fancy. Perfect. All power to you. You're aware. You know, you're doing it, hopefully in a controlled environment. Hopefully you understand the risks. Great. Uh, you, you're an adult. Um, hopefully, I mean, if you're not an adult, you know, I don't know if you should be gambling, but uh, that's a different story. But then, you know. <laughs> or, or, or even thinking about fancy play syndrome at this oh, point. Like... Fancy play syndrome, yes. Hopefully, you know, you shouldn't be tuning into the, this type of podcast, but it's the internet. So, but yeah, uh, be uh, aware of that situation and why you're doing what you're doing. We also talked about more can be less, you know. Sometimes, you know, adding extra things can be can be noise. Now, that's not always the case. We have to be careful. We're not trying to oversimplify or overanalyze, but many times it's difficult to separate uh, the noise from the signal, and the signal in many cases is very short, and a lot of it around it is, is noise. So it's important to cut through that noise because more can be less. It means we're actually adding noise. There's, there cannot be much improvement on the signal. Now, there are situations, GTO comes to mind, for example, that the signal is itself very complicated. So understanding that the signal is complicated is another thing. So a lot of things that may seem like noise might be might be necessary. But there's also a lot of noise around GTO, and it's important to cut through that. We talked a little bit about that in one of the earliest podcasts. I think it was the first podcast, actually. And then correctly, you mentioned Occam's razor, right? I mean, the idea of basically finding the theory that makes the, the least amount of assumptions. Or if we want to think about probabilistic Occam's razor, the theory that makes the uh, most likely assumptions as a whole, right? Yes. I mean, it makes it makes the least probabilistic uh, cost, like it has the least probabilistic cost, which in this case means high probability versus uh, low probability. Um, any any anything else that I you know may have forgotten to mention or? Uh, I, I think you uh, I I think you you covered us uh, and and finished us out quite nicely there in your in your summary, Duncan. I think it was uh, yeah, no, I think it was very eloquently put. Just, I, you know, I get a little fancy with my words just just at the end, but I think it was I think no. it was uh, I think it was necessary. <laughs> I, I I see what you did there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me just just for the fun of it, let me ask you one more question. Just uh, I, sort of like uh, came to mind. Uh, is it, you know, FPSing uh, for the sake of it, or does it have a purpose? Like, is there a purpose to FPSing? Uh, do you think just that, like, as a sort of like closing statement? What are what are your thoughts? I think it, it can have a purpose. It can have a place. It can have a time. Um, but I think the most important thing is awareness, understanding that you're doing it, and that. The situation you're doing it in will be appreciated to the point that it has a chance of success, mm. be that in poker, be that in writing, be that in whatever arena. There. But like to take the poker example, that you're you're trying to pull off something where your opponent is thinking to a level that they will appreciate what you're trying to do so that the, the nuance of it will be is something that they will consider. But if they ain't going to consider the nuance, well, then you're just, you're just doing it for the sake of it. So it's, and that's the thing, it's doing it, doing it with a purpose to a, for an audience that will, that will appreciate the, the nuances of what you're trying to do. 
I, I love it. So maybe again, maybe you do FPS when it's essentially no longer F fancy, right? I mean, you do something fancy <laughs> when it sort of like ceases to be. Exactly. And <laughs> at that point, it probably just becomes, it probably just becomes standard. It's just, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, it moves from fancy place in Rome into high level thinking. <laughs> right. So this is an example where the noise actually becomes the signal, right? I mean, you know, part of the noise yeah. is, is, is actually the signal. That's, that's, that's very, very, very well put, Peter. So um, excellent. And so where can people, uh, to keep it simple, you know, where can people find us, you know, without all the fanciness, like what are the easy, easy places that they can find us? Two simple places to find me, Duncan, um, Greatness Village. Um, you can get it through chasingpokergreatness.com forward slash Greatness Village. Pop in there, say hello. I'm always around. Or they can find me on Twitter um, at Peter Birmingham with a four at the end, as we pointed out uh, pointed <laughs> out last week. My my misclick spelling. I slightly overcomplicated my name, but that wasn't on purpose. That wasn't. It wasn't Next necessary, week. and it wasn't on purpose. But yeah, so uh, pop in, say hello. I'm 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 there. And what about you, Duncan? Where can where can our listener find you? Sure, they they can find me also on, on Twitter. Ask uh, the math dr. I, sh I should probably mention about your accidental FPSing that you actually replaced the last M with four. So for anybody who wants to add you, it's uh, at Peter Birmingham instead of M. You have a four, if I if I remember correctly, right? So yes, that's yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very nice accidental FPSing. I love it. I, I totally dig it. And uh, and incidental, thank you all for you know like liking and subscribing yeah, to. Uh, to the, the the YouTube channel that we we have basically two YouTube channels the Chasing Poker Greatness uh, and Why Alex uh, Beats Bobby um, we upload the the videos of Philosophical Friday where if you're interested in you know our facial expressions and uh, you know our hand gestures and all of that stuff you you can find it in there. Um, Sometimes but, they tell a lot. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. I, I personally like it that way. I think it's more engaging experience. But, um, well, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. As always, if you have any questions, you know, post them in one of these uh, previously mentioned uh, venues. And, uh, Peter, thank you very much again for a beautiful conversation. And thank you very much, Duncan. Absolutely. And we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Catch you all next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.